Tonight, as we continue our study through Knowing God, we come to the second part of the book. The book is divided into three main sections, and this second section is called Behold Your God, where uh, he kind of starts to walk through the different attributes of our God. And tonight's chapter, chapter 7, is on the unchanging nature of God. He starts out the chapter by just talking about how we read the scriptures and how that relates to our experience in our lives today. And so he says, we believe that the Bible is God's word. You know, we see it as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We believe that the Bible gives us the knowledge of God and his will. But sometimes we get discouraged because the Bible, uh, especially when God relates to people in the Bible, relates to a Moses or an Abraham, David, uh, it, their experience seems so far removed from our experience. And so sometimes we can get discouraged and sometimes the Bible might seem distant from us. Some of the stories in the Bible might be hard to understand. And so sometimes it, it seems like maybe we're engaging with another world. And so he talks about that in the first major section of the chapter, how we can see ourselves in essentially the same world and connected with the people of the Bible if we have the right perspective on it. He says, reading the Bible takes us into the ancient Near Eastern world. So the Bible is full of all kinds of strange customs and practices. It's written in a different language, different culture, different geography, and it seems so foreign to us at times. And so uh, it's interesting, but, it, but it's also remote. There are times when it seems far away. How do, we, how do we bridge this gap between us and the ancient world? So how can these words, how can these actions of God in Bible times, what do they have to do with us? How can they help us right now in this modern age? And so sometimes it's hard for us to see how these worlds link up. What's the application for us? And he says, the solution is not to resign ourselves to thinking that the Bible will always remain distant for us. So he encourages us to not do that. Uh, a lot of Christians just kind of respond that way. Well, I guess there will always be this gap. I guess there will always be this distance between us and the Bible and and our experience with God, not like the experience with God of the Bible characters. And so they just kind of resign themselves to thinking of it as a distant book. But he says we need to reorient ourselves and look at it a different way. He says the crucial point is surely this. The sense of remoteness is an illusion, which springs from seeking the link between our situation and that of the various Bible characters in the wrong place. So he says, if we're trying to, to sync, to link up the ancient biblical world with our world by comparing our experiences, then yes, there's a gap that's going to remain because their experiences are different than ours. Not only because they're in a different culture, different language, all of that, you know, a pre-modern culture, but also because the stories in the Bible are unique in that many of the times that God interacts with the people in the Bible, it is for a special purpose. It is for the purpose of revealing his word, giving a new revelation 
of uh, showing his mighty power through a divine miracle. So th- some of the stories that are in the Bible are are unique, and they're intended to be unique, but they're intended to communicate God's working through history for for our good. So he says the link between our situation and that of the Bible characters, we shouldn't compare experiences because they're going to be different in many different ways. But he says the link between us and them is God because God is the unchanging one. He says it is true that in terms of space, time, and culture, they and the historical epic to which they belonged are a very long way away from us. But the link between them and us is not found at that level. The link is God himself. For the God with whom they had to do is the same God with whom we have to do. So he says, as we're reading the Bible, don't don't think of it in terms of, well, why doesn't God send an angel to me? That's a different experience. But we can we can see it in terms of, who God is and why he sent that angel to that person at that time. And that character of God is still the same character of God that we have today. The, the same purpose of God in accomplishing his will and his salvation through the ages, that same purpose is the same that was going on then. Just it's being worked out in a different time in history. So it's still the same God. So he says, we worship exactly the same God as those that did in the Old Testament, as well as the apostles did in the New Testament. It's the same God. And the reason he's the same God is because he doesn't change. He does not change at all. And the term that we use for this is the immutability of God. That God is immutable. And so he says, we don't have two different gods. The God of the Bible is not a different God from us. The God of the Old Testament is not a different God from the New Testament. We have the same God. The same God that they worshiped is the God that we worship. And then the main heart of the chapter is walking through six main areas in which God is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And so he starts out by talking about the fact that God's life does not change. And what he means here is essentially that that God in his being as he exists, does not change. He is eternal. He's always been. So God never had a beginning. God never had an ending. He has always been. And that's hard for us to think about because every living thing that we know of, including ourselves, has a beginning at some point. So it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that, that God never had a beginning. So there was never even a change in terms of God's existence, in terms of coming into being. That never changed because he's always been. And so our lives, there's a change for us when we come to life and we, we live inside our mother's womb and then we're born. And then there's a change for our existence when we die. But God doesn't experience any of those changes. God's life is uh, the same for all of eternity. He quotes in this section of, uh, of the chapter here, he says, he gives a quote from A.W. Pink, and he says, God cannot change for the better, for he is already perfect. 
And being perfect, he cannot change for the worse. So he already is as perfect as he can be. So God can't get better because he's already perfect. He can't get worse because he's perfect. And he never ceases to be perfect. So God's life does not change. And then he said God's character does not change. God's character does not change. And I think this chapter is really helpful for us to think about the immutability of God because just because God interacts with someone in the Old Testament or even the New Testament differently than he interacts with us does not mean that he himself changes. His character is still the same. So he interacts with people in different ways in accordance with his unchanging plan. But in his character, who he is, he does not change. And so he mentions in Exodus chapter 3 where God reveals himself to Moses. And God says to Moses, I am who I am. Meaning, I am the existing one. And, and it's interesting the way that God reveals himself to Moses there because it's not this is how I was, or this is how I will be, but this is who I am. And so who was God yesterday? He is the I am. Who is he tomorrow? He's the I am. So God exists as he is always for all time as the one who is, the one who exists. So even that in itself, the way that he described his name to Moses uh, communicates the idea of changelessness that who he is is who he is, and he always will be. I am who I am. And then a little bit later on in Exodus, in Exodus 34, God comes to Moses again and reveals more about his name when he shows Moses a portion of his glory. And he declares to him his name and says, this is what my name means. And he gives him some of the important attributes of God's character, that he's merciful that he's long-suffering, that is slow to anger, but he's still just and he still punishes the guilty. So he describes to Moses what that I am is. I am always the same. Here is who I am. I'm the merciful, compassionate God who's slow to anger and forgives sin. And so God's character does not change. He's always been gracious. For eternity past to eternity future, God is gracious. And I think it's important for us to think about that, even in terms of the way that we relate the Testaments, because some people have in their minds a false idea of a really harsh break or discontinuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament, in which God in the Old Testament is somehow angry and, and harsh, and, but in the New Testament, he's much more gracious. And that's a misreading of the Bible, because... The God who is gracious in the New Testament is still the same God who is gracious in the Old Testament and comes to Noah and says, I'm going to save you. Comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to choose you and I'm going to make a nation out of you. It's the same God. He is he's gracious to David. Even though David had sinned greatly in the, in the matter of Bathsheba, God still comes to him and says, I'm going to make an everlasting covenant with you. He's still a gracious God. And so he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can say that about all of God's attributes. His love, his mercy, his justice, his holiness. His character doesn't change. His truth does not change. 
So what God says is sure. In this, God is very much different than we are, isn't he? Because we speak and we don't keep our word sometimes. Sometimes we break our promises. Sometimes we intentionally lie. Sometimes we unintentionally mislead people. And our word cannot necessarily be counted on, but God's can. God's truth does not change. And so he's told us in his word who he is. He's told us in his word what his promises are. He's told us in his word how we can be made right with him through Christ. All of that truth remains sure. It doesn't change. He says God's ways do not change. God's ways do not change. And what he's saying here essentially is the way that God expresses his character, the way that God does things, uh, the way that God interacts with people uh, is fundamentally unchanging. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't different administrations of the way that God handles things in his world at different times in history. So, for example, during a period of time under the Mosaic Law with Israel, God is interacting with Israel in a way in accordance with the law that he had revealed. But with the coming of Christ, he is interacting with us in light of the unfolding and progressive working of his plan. So it's almost like um, God is interacting with the Israelites in terms of part one of his story. And that's consistent with the part one of his unfolding story. But his ways, his character doesn't change. But as the story unfolds, as the story develops, he is interacting with us now in accordance with part two of the story, if you will, of now that we are in Christ, now that Christ has come and fulfilled the law, he is interacting with us in keeping with his story. So he wrote the story and he's interacting with us consistently in keeping with that story that he wrote. In, as it unfolds. And so he says in the chapter, he still blesses those on whom he sets his love in a way that humbles them so that all the glory may be his alone. He still hates sins and he still uses all kinds of inward and outward pains and griefs to wean their hearts from compromise and disobedience. Uh, toward the beginning of that section, he says he continues to act toward sinful men and women in the, in the same way that he does in the Bible story, he shows grace to some. He doesn't show grace to others. He, he gives um, blessing to some. He doesn't give blessing to others. But that's the way he's always acted. And so he is consistent in that character. God's purposes do not change. And this is we've been talking a lot about this on Sunday nights because this directly interacts with the idea of God's plan, God's decrees in that God has an absolute plan for the ages that is eternal. And that plan isn't altered. That plan isn't unchanging. It is unfolding in accordance with God's purposes. And I just want to give a quote here that he mentions from A.W. Pink in the chapter. He says, one of two things causes a man to change his mind and reverse his plans. Want of foresight to anticipate everything or lack of foresight to execute them. 
But he says, as God is both omniscient and omnipotent, there is never any need for him to revise his decrees. So if we're to say God has to change his plan, God has to change his decree, then what we would be saying of God is either one, he has a defect in his knowledge that he didn't know about something, or two, he has a defect in his power that he can't do something about it. And neither one of those is true. So God's knowledge is perfect. His power is perfect. So his decree is perfect. It is eternal, unchanging. He briefly talks about how there are some verses in the Bible that speak of God changing his mind or of turning course. But if you read those, all of those passages carefully, they're all in terms of God issuing a decree of condemnation, of judgment. And then, but anytime that God issues a warning or a message of judgment, there is always built into that the provision that God will not bring that judgment if people respond to that message and repent. In fact, in the book of Jeremiah, it explicitly says that, that this is how God works. God gives a judgment, but if people repent, God doesn't bring the judgment. So God's, so when it says that God changes his mind, that's how it looks from our perspective. In, in the way that God interacts with us, because we are changing creatures. But none of that was a surprise to God. None of that was a surprise to God. So uh, God, God is never caught off guard. He is, he's never fooled. He never has to change course. He never has to have a plan B. God, God is unchanging. His plan is unchanging. And then the last one, he says, God's son does not change. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he says, all of this, all of this, the unchanging nature of God is intended to be an encouragement and a comfort to us. And to help draw us deeply into the scriptures, knowing that the God that we worship is the same God that we read about in the Bible. And so he says, we are to be like them. He says, where is the sense of dis distance and difference then between believers and Bible times and ourselves? He says, it is excluded. On what grounds? On the grounds that God does not change. So we can interact with God much the same way that the characters of the Bible interact with God because God's the same. His character, his ways, his truth is unchanging. And so fellowship with God, trust in his word, living by faith, standing on the promises of God are essentially the same realities for us today as they were for Old and New Testament believers. So we walk with God in light of his truth. That's what Abraham did. We trust the promises of God. That's what Abraham did. We, we seek to obey God's word. That's what Abraham sought to do. Abraham lived by faith. That's what we seek to do. We, we, have, we can have the, essentially the same reality as the characters of the Old Testament, even if our individual experiences are different. And this is meant to be an encouragement to us. He says, Amid all the changes and uncertainties of life, God and his Christ remain the same, almighty to save. Remind yourself of that every day. 
because there are, every day it seems like there's something new, something different popping up. Our world right now is moving at a bullet train pace. Cultural change, technological change, political change, societal change. It, it's all rapidly moving, evolving quickly. And it can have a dizzying effect, uh, an, an anxiety-producing effect, if we're not anchored to this truth that God is unchanging and that His plan is sure, His plan is secure. And so instead of feeling anxious or worried about the uncertainties of life, remind yourself that God is sure, that His, His Word is sure. But he says this also has a challenge too, that the unchanging nature of God not only is a comfort and encouragement, but there's also a challenge in it. And that is, if our God is the same as the God of the New Testament believers, how can we justify ourselves in resting content with an experience of communion with him and a level of Christian conduct that falls so far below theirs. In other words, if we feel like the world of the biblical characters is so distant from us, the problem is not with God. Because God's still the same. Perhaps the problem is we are still standing aloof. And we need to draw closer, deeper into relation and fellowship with God. And so it is, uh, it's a comfort reminding us that God's still the same, but it's also a challenge because if our, uh, if our walk with God is, there's a huge gap between what we see in our lives and the walk with God of some of the characters in the Bible, then we need to draw closer. We need to move deeper into that relationship with God. It's a, it's a challenge. Uh, 